0: This episode of Managing Minds touches on issues around mental health. If it raises anything for you, there's always somewhere to turn, like beyondblue.org.au or you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. This is a human and a population-wide issue. And this is a, a health crisis that is not going away.
1: Let's face it. Management can be thankless. Wedged between leadership and workers, being a manager can sometimes feel like you're the first on the dance floor at a party and no one's dancing with you. I'm Anna McAfee and welcome to Managing Minds. This is a podcast for managers to help you understand mental health at work and how to better look after yourself and the people around you. I studied psychology at uni and then spent a decade working in recruitment. From there, I became a LinkedIn educator. From managing staff to working my way through burnout, I've experienced a fair few of the issues we explore in this series.
2: Burnout to me is primarily like, it's a relationship breakdown. It's not a, uh, you know, something wrong with the person or isn't necessarily that the workplace is impossible.
1: Almost half of Australians will experience poor mental health over their lifetime. And it's no wonder. From lockdowns and global pandemics to bushfires and economic meltdowns, the world is an increasingly unpredictable place, let alone the day-to-day pressures between family, lifestyle and your work-life balance. Over this series, we'll be diving into all facets of mental health at work, from burnout to difficult conversations.
3: It's natural when we're facing difficult information that it might bring up all sorts of emotions for us, but emotions are not likely to be helpful in actually getting to a solution.
1: Thinking about my own experience of managing staff, I know I probably could have done a better job in supporting them. As a manager, you're under a lot of pressure. And that's why in our next episode, we will be talking about managing yourself and how to look after you. In this episode, we're looking at managing individuals, how getting to know your team can help improve the mental health in your workplace. Dr. Katrina Sanders is no stranger to supporting people's mental health at work. As chief medical officer for the Australian Federal Police, she works with people exposed to trauma every day. Not all workplaces are high-risk environments. But as we'll explore in this series,
0: not all risks to health are obvious. To truly protect the health of a workforce, you need to have great understanding of the challenges and the risks and the the great things that, that they do every day. And that understanding only comes from being on the ground and trying to walk their path as much as you can. And in, and in doing that, I think you demonstrate a, a genuine intent in learning and understanding. And that, I think, builds trust. If you do that and then you sit in an ivory tower and you just provide observation, and commentary, that trust will be eroded very quickly. So that connection with the workforce or connection with the the people that you're you're trying to work for uh, needs to be maintained and, and through that, I think, brings trust.
1: Understanding the people in your team and building trust with them is crucial to being able to support them if something does go wrong, which isn't only good for them. It's good for the bottom line of your business because healthier, happier people work better. Camille Wilson has had her own experience of managing mental health challenges at work. Now she works as a mental health consultant.
0: We typically think of that are you okay conversation. We typically think would only care about someone's mental health once they've reached a place where they have to answer the question saying, no, I am not okay. But mental health is the entire part of that as well. If I really wanted to support someone's mental health, I would get to know them I'd understand what makes them tick, what makes them happy, what makes them go well at work, what makes them, you know, do they like recognition, do they not, do they like to be put on the spot in the sense of being challenged or does that cause anxiety for them?
1: You may be wondering why it's your responsibility to think about the mental health of the team around you it's a question many people ask. But the reality is it's your organisation's legal responsibility to make sure your workers are mentally and physically safe, be that in a large multinational or a small cafe. When it comes to your team's mental health, you shouldn't underestimate the impact you can have as a manager.
0: Evidence tells us that the single greatest predictor for injured workers to stay at work or to return to work is their direct supervisor. So the support that that middle management plays is critical. The role modelling and the culture that they set around uh, mental and physical health is really important. It's important to remember
1: that you don't have to be perfect. You're a human as well. And when it comes to talking about mental health with employees, you don't always have to know everything.
4: I think it's about having the knowledge and skills to approach each of these conversations on an individual basis. Um, so my name's Joe Farmer, and I work mostly at the moment as a freelance evaluation and research consultant. In the past, I've worked for government, worked for not-for-profits, worked for kind of corporate consulting companies. Mental illness is a part of my life. It's a part of the considerations I make about how I live my life and there have been points in my life where that's been more challenging to live with than it is on a on a usual day-to-day basis
1: i'd love to ask you some questions around your work life during that time how did your workplace respond to your mental health and make adjustments for that
4: my workplace did a number of things and you know it, it sounds potentially flippant but i do think there are things that helped to save my life um and some of them were quite simple. Uh, I think fundamentally it was grounded in having open, honest and empathetic conversations. And my workplace always approached those with not viewing me as a burden, but thinking, how can we support you to stay at work and to stay well and to recover as quickly as possible? Because obviously that's good for them as well as for me.
1: Joe's manager told her that he didn't have experience in managing mental health but he wanted to help her. So they looked at practical solutions together.
4: So a lot of that was then around clarifying expectations. There were some other really simple practical things like we shifted my working hours so I didn't have to catch public transport during peak times, which was a major anxiety cause for me. Um, and other small practical things like making sure that there was a quiet space in the office, that if it was noisy and loud and overwhelming, everyone would just know, like, oh, Jo's in the quiet room where she can go and like be able to concentrate.
1: And what about difficult conversations? How would you recommend managers approach conversations about mental health that they're perhaps a little nervous about having?
4: Often the, the fear that you'll say the wrong thing is a barrier to having the conversation in the first place. And I think it's certainly in my experience it's been I'd much rather that you have a go at having that conversation and don't nail it a hundred percent, but I know that the conversation is being had with the intent of caring about me and wanting to make my workplace a better environment for me to be in. So not assuming that you know what's gonna work for that person. I think that's often the case where people assume time off is what this person needed in my case i i didn't need time off because actually the routine and the social connection of coming into work were exactly the things that were going to make me better the the person might not know a hundred percent what they what's going to help them so having a flexibility about going into those conversations and going well maybe we have to try a couple of things before we find the thing that's going to completely work So Joe's
1: manager was honest, upfront, about their lack of experience dealing with mental health, and they worked with her to find flexible solutions. But let's be honest. For a lot of managers, creating flexibility for employees can cause problems because it sets a precedent. If we let Jane work flexible hours, then that means Kate might ask for the same. Life can get complicated and teams can get harder to manage. Dr. James Donnelly is a lecturer in psychology at Southern Cross University and a practicing psychologist. I asked him how he recommends dealing with issues of fairness and equity when it comes to mental health.
2: So if someone has some kind of accommodation that's been set up, that's confidential and that's part of the culture and we're not able to share those details and on the surface this looks like it's unfair. They see somebody else's hours getting reduced in the morning and the meaning they attach is, this is unfair, this is being done to me. So, if the person comes in and is feeling frustrated, the first thing, don't shut them down to say, talk to me about this frustration. You, you seem to think that the policy is that everyone gets to just change their schedule. Can you talk to me about what you're thinking about this? But as your manager, I can assure you there's there's a good reason why we are making this made this decision for, for, for Robert over there. And um, that is not available to you unless there's a personal medical reason that requires an accommodation in your workplace. And that's the expectation you create.
1: Creating an environment where people feel comfortable talking to you is important because it ensures you find out about conflict before it boils over. When it comes to accommodating workers who might be facing mental health challenges, your door needs to stay open after that initial conversation.
2: It's not a one-time fix, and that idea of checking back in is really essential because then it demonstrates, I'm connected with these, with these folks here. I'm not gonna to try to fix a complicated problem in a, in a one fell swoop. So we're gonna go with this. You know, Does that seem like a reasonable way to go forward? And then we'll check with you in a couple of weeks and see if that's sufficient.
1: The reality is every workplace has its own unique challenges and they might not always be the most obvious ones. If we think of a high-trauma environment like the Australian Federal Police, it may seem obvious what the potential risks to mental health are. But for Dr Katrina Sanders, understanding potential risks requires digging beneath the surface.
0: People are far more prepared uh, and far more resilient when they have an understanding of what is ahead of them. And what I mean by that is not necessarily crime types and not necessarily trauma exposure, but perhaps the areas that you wouldn't necessarily think contribute to a high-risk environment, like long-term shift work, like the camaraderie, which is um, critical in a law enforcement environment. It is protective of health, but it is also... A risk to health and a good example of that is when police say uh, you know I can't take any time off because I will it, that will burden my team or someone else will have to pick up the workload so I think those non-traditional elements that you you don't immediately associate with risk is what we really need to prepare people for and that goes hand in hand with Um, the the literacy or the understanding around the risks to health so it's one thing to talk about trauma exposure one thing to talk about shift work and fatigue uh, and it's another thing to then take the leap to this is how you may feel and this is what you may experience and when do you know to reach out for help
1: Uh, what are some of the things that you do to keep an eye on people and encourage them to get support
0: we have a number of mental health literacy type programs so we're trying to build the health literacy of the workforce so they become the the advocates for health but also so they can become an essentially an early warning system so if we can build literacy in individuals then they may be better equipped to recognise the signs of ill health in themselves or others very early on.
1: When you think about potential risks to mental health and safety in your workplace, what comes to mind? In a recent study by the University of South Australia, almost two-thirds of working Australians identified bullying as a major problem. For people who have experienced workplace bullying firsthand, there's no doubt it can make your life a living hell. Michelle Tuckey is a professor of work and organisational psychology at the University
3: of South Australia. She
1: specialises in workplace bullying.
3: It can be really tempting to look at bullying as a problem of bad apples in an organisation. There's very little reliable evidence that personality characteristics are more likely to make someone a bully or more likely to make someone a target. The evidence is much stronger that it's the barrel rather than the apples, uh, that it's the organisational environment. This is
1: interesting because it's different to the way most people think of bullying. Whether in the workplace or in the schoolyard, I've seen it time and time again that people think the person being bullied is weak and that the bully is just damaged and nasty. So if it's not because of the people, then what elements of the organisation cause the bullying?
3: When we think about the key risk areas for bullying in an organisation, one is around how working hours are coordinated. So that's everything from rosters and schedules, um, how leave is coordinated, breaks and other entitlements.
1: The second risk area is in managing work performance.
3: So, that's having very clear roles for staff to begin with, having the right training to do the work right through to um, good career opportunities and pathways for development, task and workload allocations and making sure that's done fairly and transparently. And then how performance is recognised and rewarded um, and how managing underperformance is handled. And then the last kind of area is how relationships in the environment are shaped. So how they go about managing individuals within their team and the team as a whole. Uh, And then the culture around mental health and whether that's seen as important and and whether there's physically safe um, working conditions to work in.
1: So you, the manager, have a direct role in managing the environment in your workplace and that in turn has an impact on bullying. Think about it. What environmental factors might be causing people to bully other people at work? Are your staff properly trained and supported? Are you dealing with underperformance properly? And then there's something really confronting to think about. Are these things making you the bully?
3: Managers find themselves in a really difficult position, and this is kind of by a definition they are the holders of um, the psychological contract with staff and what that means is that they're where staff put all their um, hopes and expectations and all the unwritten rules around you know how the organization should treat them but managers have their own challenges in their working conditions they're facing their own work pressure they've got conflict between different parts of their role they've got a high workload they've got staff shortages and so on and so What the research suggests is that those pressures can lead to a spillover of tension onto staff through, you know, less than ideal managerial behaviour. And when, yeah, workers think about that, they can experience that as bullying. So it it might not even be that it's, you know, bullying behaviour per se. It's just that spillover effect of these organisational pressures. Um, And it shows that managers get caught up in bullying as an organisational issue, but just at a different level um, in the organisational system.
1: We often think of bullying as something that happens between peers or managers bullying staff. But it's an important aside to note that you can also be bullied by the people you are managing.
3: The idea of upwards bullying actually comes as quite a surprise to people to actually realise that managers can be bullied by staff who are under their supervision as well. I think for the managers who experience it, it certainly comes as a surprise to them. And that can make it even harder to respond because the impact can just be so much higher. It's harder to make sense of how this can happen if you're the one holding the formal position of power. Um, There's a greater risk to reputation and credibility if you're a manager that experiences this kind of bullying behaviour. The upwards bullying of managers is normally triggered by changes in the composition of work groups, so new people coming in and out or a new manager starting in a position, particularly if they were part of the work group before and have been elevated to the position of manager and it might also be triggered by a broader organisational restructuring and so people are trying to find where they fit in that new structure and bullying behaviour can both spill over because of the stress of that process but also as part of finding the fit. Having support from more senior management is a really important protective factor. Um, against managers being bullied by those they're supervising.
1: Yeah, it's interesting and you're right. I'm sure it does come as a surprise because it's not not the type of bullying you normally hear about or necessarily expect. If someone is being bullied, what would you advise them to take as the first steps toward dealing with that bullying behaviour?
3: I think starting just by realising that this might be bullying is an important first step. The way that bullying goes and it's, you know, one particular thing is not normally problematic on its own. It's when they're experienced repeatedly uh, and when it shows up in all different parts of your working life, then you start to get a sense that it might be bullying. Taking action early is going to be the best chance to get a good outcome out of the situation.
1: Taking action is about having straightforward conversations. But again, it's looking back at those original causes of bullying. What is wrong with your barrel? And it's important you address this clearly and methodically because not only will
3: it damage the people involved,
1: but bullying can spread. At an individual
3: level, what bullying does is actually send the message that you don't belong. That's a basic human need that we all have. So bullying directly undermines that basic human need. When you see that happening in an organisation, as a witness observing it, you feel that that's the wrong thing. You feel that that's not okay. Um, And when it gets ignored or even rewarded, you start to get the sense that, you know, I'm in a working situation where those basic psychological needs I have are not going to be met, where this kind of unreasonable behaviour is the way to go it can get replicated There's good evidence that there can be like trickle down effect from the behavior of more senior leaders through to middle managers through to actually what happens in their team. So it kind of becomes embedded into the culture because it shows up in working practices and systems and structures, again, that unreasonable behavior can become embedded in those and they outlast any particular person. And so there's this kind of persistent effect that can only be undone by really going back and changing the culture and the work environment and those processes.
1: For a company who is still avoiding addressing mental health in the workplace, What would be your advice to them?
0: Mental or physical illness is illness. And it could be your daughter, your spouse, your parent, your loved one. And you would expect, and rightly so, that they were well supported in their workplace. I think you can talk about resourcing. You can talk about the financial benefits. You can talk about the productivity and the cultural uplift that comes with it but there is a human at the end of this. And this is a a health crisis that is not going away.
1: So in summary, to effectively manage the people in your team, it's important to approach each situation differently and each person individually. By building you and your team's skills and knowledge around mental health, you'll be able to communicate more effectively and hopefully pick up on the early warning signs if something's going wrong. There's lots of resources out there, from Black Dog and Beyond Blue to Heads Up and Headspace. You can find extra links to resources and other information on our website, managingmindspodcast.com.au and also on our LinkedIn page. Up next on Managing Minds, we are talking about you, what you can do to look after your own mental health and how you can get better at supporting the mental health of the people around you.
4: For quite a
0: while, I was suffering from poor mental health and I wasn't aware of it. And I spent a lot of time focusing on what am I doing wrong in my business? Why aren't I a good leader at times? What is it that's wrong with me? Managing Minds is a Headline Productions podcast made in partnership with the State Insurance Regulatory Authority. Our host is Anna McAfee. This series has been produced and edited by Simon Portis. Fact-checking is done by Dr. James Donnelly. And the executive producer is me, Liz Keene.